What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Cinemonograph. I'm your host, George A. Velez. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a podcast where I talk into the ether about movies. For those of you joining us for the first time, a monograph is a scholarly essay on a particular aspect of art, or it can be a collection of essays in a book or a series of volumes. So think of this podcast as a collection of essays examining all things film-related, a monograph about cinema, a cinemonograph. Today we're going to talk about a film that's near and dear to my heart, Michael Mann's Heat. It's a masterpiece starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. The movie has had something of a resurgence in the past few years, so there have been plenty of things that have been said about Heat, but I think there's an angle people haven't spoken about, so give me all you got. I'm going to do what I do best. Rant about movies. You're going to do what you do best. Ignore the crazy person yelling showtime on the subway. So, let's get into it. So then if you spot me coming around that corner... You're just gonna walk out on this woman? Not say goodbye? That's the discipline. That's pretty vacant, no? Yeah, it is what it is. It's that or we both better go do something else, pal. I don't know how to do anything else. Neither do I. I don't much want to either. Neither do I. Michael Mann is not only a celebrated writer, director, television producer, and the reason we all love Phil Collins. Thank you for that, by the way. He's also an author. He's written a sequel to his magnum opus, Heat. You want to know what it's called? Heat 2, which is kind of awesome. If someone says, hey, I haven't seen the first one, you can say, you don't have to read it, fam. You have to watch it. Then that person would definitely look at you like you're crazy. Then you have to explain the following. Heat is a crime thriller written and directed by the guy who gave us the living embodiment of the 80s, Miami Vice. And also, it's amazing movie adaptation. It's an underrated masterpiece. Look at Colin Farrell's mustache. He looks like a scumbag. I love it. It's a three-hour saga. It was released in 1995, but its legendary status in cinematic history comes from the fact that it is the first movie to feature Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Legends. Fucking thugs. They're the reason why I do this, why I make movies, and why I pretend to be people. I'm not just talking about acting. I'm talking about how in my daily life I pretend to be a sane, fully functioning human being. Michael Mann is one of the best American filmmakers. Throughout his career, he's made moody urban crime thrillers shot with rich cinematography and color. He's also low-key one of the most ripped-off filmmakers of the last 40 years. There would be no serial killer genre without his film Manhunter, which is also the first Hannibal Lecter film. Without Michael Mann's influence, The Dark Knight probably wouldn't be as good as it is. His films are brilliant exercises in style, while also focusing on realism, a beautiful contradiction, much like the protagonists in his films. Michael Mann's films are usually about cops or robbers or both. Heat is the cops and robbers movie to end all cops and robbers movies, but it's not just a traditional genre exercise. Like all Michael Mann's films, his protagonists are a little crazy. They're plagued with loneliness. They struggle with duality. They're obsessive. They work hard, and they're the best at what they do. His protagonists are very detail-oriented and hyper-focused on the process. 
They're like filmmakers. Filmmakers are obsessive. They're focused on the process. They want to do what they can to make the best movies possible. That's what Michael Mann's films are about in a way. Especially Heat, a film about filmmaking and the darkness that comes along with it. When Michael Mann made his early crime dramas, he used retired Chicago police detective Chuck Adamson as a technical consultant. Adamson would tell him about different cases, including his pursuit of career criminal Neil McCauley. When Adamson was investigating McCauley, he bumped into him in a coffee shop, and the two of them sat down and had a cup of coffee. The next time they saw each other, Adamson shot McCauley dead in a shootout. It was poetic. The stuff movies are made of, which is exactly what Michael Mann thought, and he went home and wrote Heat. Heat is technically a remake. It was originally a made-for-TV film called L.A. Takedown, which is the perfect title for a made-for-TV film in the late 80s. It was 90 minutes, half the runtime of Heat, and it's considered not very good. It's more like a first draft, but a movie, which would be pretty cool if you can do that all the time, actually. Sometimes I watch a flick of mine a few years later, and I think to myself, damn, I wish I could get a crack at that one again. I'm so fired now. Someone please give me money to make movies. I don't want to resort to running up on people with a gun and asking them to run their pockets. I don't want to go to jail. It looks like it sucks. After his critically acclaimed adaptation of The Last of the Mohicans, Michael Mann could pretty much make whatever movie he wanted. He was never satisfied with L.A. Takedown, and he wanted to shoot the movie he originally envisioned, a saga about Los Angeles told through the lens of a crime thriller. If you're going to make a saga, you need actors who can give the saga some scope. The stars are Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. That's wild. My man's made a shitty TV movie and the remake stars two acting legends and is considered one of the best movies of all time. What a flex. The film was marketed as the Pacino-De Niro showdown. By this point, both actors had cemented their status as legends. In the 70s, they starred in some of the greatest movies ever made. And in the 90s, they were in the middle of a career renaissance. Since Goodfellas, De Niro got cast in some of his best roles, and Pacino had just won an Oscar after making a comeback in 1989. They're constantly compared to each other. I think that's because they're both Italian and played gangsters. But it was the first time they appeared on screen together. They both starred in The Godfather Part II, but they don't have any scenes together. The Godfather Part II is both a prequel and a sequel. The prequel stars De Niro as a young Don Vito Corleone. In the sequel portion, Pacino plays his son Michael. It's the greatest movie ever made. The Pacino De Niro Showdown. I remember when I first heard of Heat, I was so excited. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are in the same movie. Wow. Then I watched the movie and discovered they only had three fucking scenes together. Again, the movie is three hours. Three hours. They have three scenes. Al Pacino plays Lieutenant Vincent Hanna. Hanna is an obsessive detective. He's unpredictable, but he's brilliant. He's hyper alert, constantly jittery, and aware of his surroundings. He yells constantly, mainly to keep criminals off balance, or maybe it's because he's got big cokehead energy. I mean, my man's is constantly up at night, moving around with the speed of a rabbit. There is no way he ain't skiing. De Niro plays Neil McCauley, a career criminal. He's the head of the gang that commits the robbery homicide that starts Hannah's investigation. Macaulay is a detail-oriented thief. Everything is carefully planned down to the second. With him, still waters run deep. He's quiet, 
and it's his precise use of words and movements that earn the respect of his crew. With Hannah, you get every shade of Pacino. You get the shouty Pacino everyone tolerates. I love it, though. It's like watching humanity at its most chaotic. And you get the quiet, sensitive Pacino everyone loves. As Hannah watches his marriage crumble around him, Pacino's silence and the slightest movement in his eyes show Hannah's defeat and resignation to his compulsive need to chase down criminals. Pacino has never Pacinoed like this before or since, and it's one of the best performances of his career. With Macaulay, you get the quiet De Niro, reminiscent of his quiet performance in Taxi Driver, only Macaulay doesn't want to make you crawl out of your skin. Unlike Travis Bickle, he's a loner by design. Macaulay doesn't talk much about his past, but De Niro is able to say more through his body language in a way that words can't do justice. Like Hannah is to Pacino, you get the ultimate Robert De Niro role. These men have a lot in common. They're both very, very good at their jobs. Hannah is the leader of an investigation unit. Macaulay is the leader of a gang of thieves. Of course, they're very obsessive about what they do for a living. Unlike a lot of people on this earth, they found their true calling. But unlike Macaulay, Hannah has empathy. Macaulay cares about others like his girlfriend, Edie, played by Amy Brenneman. He has no problem murdering anyone that crosses him or an unarmed guard during a robbery. Hannah feels the pain of people who've lost loved ones at the hands of people like Macaulay, but in a way he admires him. He admires his intelligence, tact, and sharpness. Their respect is mutual. Real recognizes real. The casting of Pacino and De Niro adds a metatextual element to this relationship. They're dual protagonists. Two movies for the price of one. A cop thriller starring Pacino and a heist thriller starring De Niro. They're intense actors, so their first scene together has to be fire, right? Maybe they'll pull out all the stops and shout at each other. One calls the other a motherfucker. That's definitely what people want, but we don't get that. You know what the first scene with Pacino and De Niro is? They have coffee together. Coffee. That's it. Fucking coffee. And you know what? It's the stuff Oscars are made of. It's shot in two over the shoulders, and it's the most important scene in the whole film. It occurs halfway, and Hannah and Macaulay have been very good at their cat-and-mouse thing. He offers to buy Macaulay a cup of coffee. At first, they talk about the stuff cops and thieves talk about. I've caught men like you before. I ain't going back to the joint. But then something interesting happens. They talk about their dreams. Hannah talks about how he dreams about all the victims and the cases he's investigated. They all stare at him. All the people that he couldn't save just stare at him. Macaulay says he has a recurring dream where he's drowning and he has to wake himself up or he'll die in his sleep. Hannah asks him if he knows what that's about and Macaulay replies, yeah, having enough time. I think it's safe to assume that Hannah has had this dream in his life also. In this conversation, our protagonists have found the only person on this planet that can ever truly understand them. The film is not about how these men are two sides of the same coin. The story leads up to this moment and the final moments that close the film. Both dreams are about running out of time. With Hannah, he thinks about all the time that has passed him. He feels like he's failed in some way because he didn't do enough to save those who needed him. What's done is done, and there's nothing he can do about it. He's haunted by the image of his victim staring at him because it's too late to do anything. Macaulay's dream is about the time he has left. Is there enough? Is it running out? What should be done with it? Not knowing has caused him anxiety that's manifested into nightmares. Macaulay tells Edie, the woman he loves, time is luck. These two characters, one who's haunted by the time he's lost, the other worrying about the time he has left, meet in the middle of the film's runtime. 
That's one of the most brilliant uses of using the structure of a story to comment on the state of minds of the characters. Macaulay lives by a philosophy, a philosophy that gives the film its title. Don't ever get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat when you spot the heat around the corner. Hannah's response is, that's pretty vacant. But he recognizes something in this philosophy because Hannah's attachments in his personal life are slipping through his fingers. He's in the middle of his third marriage, which is crumbling because of his emotional distance and exhaustion due to his addiction to the job. He has a stepdaughter with severe abandonment issues. These are issues he should address, but he's losing people he cares about because of his job. Macaulay, a man with so few attachments he barely has furniture in his home, has just started a new relationship with a woman named Edie. It's probably the first time in a long time he's ever cared about someone romantically, but he knows it's doomed. She has no idea what he does for a living. The two men talk about how this philosophy is necessary for life, or they're going to have to do something else. Hannah says, I don't know how to do anything else. And I don't much want to either. When I was younger, I really liked heat. That's cool genre shit. Noir, heists, an obsessive detective, shootouts. Watch a shootout. That's the best shootout movie history. But now I find myself looking for the quiet moments. When I was younger, I wondered why heat was three hours. Now that I'm older, I understand. The film is not just about the heist and the investigation or the shootouts. It's about the moments in between all of that. Picking up your stepdaughter from school, having money problems because of your gambling addiction, meeting someone at the library and hitting it off, trying to better your life after you get out of prison and everyone treats you like garbage, starting a new romance, or watching one fade away. Hannah and Macaulay eventually have their showdown. As Macaulay and his crew are in the middle of a bank robbery, Hannah and his crew show up and everybody tries to light each other up. It's a war zone. It's it's exciting. Cars turn into Swiss cheese. Men on both sides of the law lose their lives. It's tragic. While they don't have a lot of screen time, we watch these characters play with their kids, dance with their wives, and bond with each other over drinks after work. At the end of the day, this is the true magic of heat. There's a price to pay to being obsessive and overly dedicated to your job and something you consider your calling. Hannah's marriage crumbles as the film progresses. After the bank shootout, after one of Hannah's men, Bosco, played by Ted Levine, you'll, you'll know him as um, Buffalo Bill from Science of the Lambs, Macaulay's fate is similarly tragic. After he meets Edie, he has every opportunity to put his life behind him and start a regular life. When he finally has the opportunity to escape with Edie, he decides to tie up a loose end and murder the man who ratted him out. This caused the death of his friends and for him and his surrogate son to go on the lamb. He's home free at that moment, but that obsession is a motherfucker. And who's waiting for Macaulay when he gets there? Vincent Hanna. He leaves Edie in 30 seconds flat, and for one final time, Hanna hunts him. Macaulay doesn't get away this time. He's shot and dies holding the hand of Hanna, the only person on this planet that truly understands him. As I mentioned earlier, Heat is about filmmaking. But George, that doesn't make sense. It's about cops and robbers, and Al Pacino shouting all the time. Go to bed. Your brain is malfunctioning. And maybe it is. Who's to say, really? But Michael Mann is a detail-oriented filmmaker. His crime thrillers are known for their realism and attention to detail. He has spoken to cops and bank robbers. He's watched them behave, and he's listened to their stories about growing up and balancing their home lives. 
He creates very intense scenarios for his actors, like weapons training, casing out banks, and ride-alongs with police to put them in the mindset of the characters. The man knows what it takes to be a filmmaker, and the obsessive nature that comes along with it. This means on some level, he knows that darkness very well. Filmmaking's about the process. I know it's wild to compare filmmaking to bank robbery, but indulge me for a second. Filmmaking requires a team, and the team focuses on one thing. Pull off the job as smoothly and as successfully as possible. The end goal is money. Hopefully, if you're a filmmaker. Each team member has a specialty. They must be prepared and efficient with their time, or the job is a failure. In filmmaking, your money and reputation are tarnished. In a bank robbery, you get arrested. The former jail is metaphorical. The latter is literal. Now let's jump to the other side of the law. Like detective work, filmmaking requires a lot of research. Whether that's something fun like watching films for inspiration or something more technical like cameras and lenses, it requires paperwork. A lot of paperwork. Paperwork to keep track of every single thing that would lead you to finally crack the movie. You also go from location to location to location and you interview people, review it over and over again. You know, when we have jobs, you feel they require dedication, sleepless nights, sacrificing a lot of your social life in order to obtain any semblance of success. Filmmaking is about the grind, the hustle, being detail-oriented. Filmmakers are constantly stressed, jittery, hyper-alert, and aware of their surroundings. They're obsessive. I'm obsessive, and there are times when I've sacrificed my social life. I make movies. I teach kids how to make movies, and it requires a lot of review and a lot of sleepless nights and... Like in Heat, my friends and my fellow filmmakers, we there's, there's a lot of camaraderie. But when you get home, it's late, and the apartment is eerily quiet. It's jarring, especially because of the constant noise that you're surrounded by throughout the day. Filmmakers spend a lot of time on the craft and the hustle and the side hustles, but too often we miss a birthday, cancel dates, friends and family move away. Some of them pass away. We burn out. It makes you think of time, the time you give yourself and the time you spend with the people you care about. Heat is a cautionary tale. I'd advise filmmakers to watch this celebrated classic with that in mind, because I know a lot of us share this mentality. I don't know how to do anything else. And I don't much want to either. That's all good, but when it comes down to it, we can't forget about time. We don't get it back. Some of us have a lot of work to do, me included. Time is luck. That's it for this episode of The Cinemonograph, everyone. Please follow us on your preferred streaming platforms to get updates when we drop our new episodes. Or you can follow me on Twitter at George underscore A underscore Velez and Instagram at George.A.Velez. And feel free to visit my website georgeavelez.com show some love leave us a review tell your friends who love heat and if they've never seen it make them watch it and then make them listen to this episode thank you once again for coming and i'll see you next time this has been the cinemonograph